You're listening to The Jazz Session with Jason Crane. Since 2007, the original jazz interview podcast. Lesson one, basic hip. Welcome to the Jazz Session. I'm Jason Crane. This is episode 510 for February 19th, 2020. On today's show, vocalist Kim Nazarian from the group New York Voices. My dream is to make 2020 the year that the Jazz Session becomes financially sustainable and also becomes my main occupation. After nearly 13 years and more than 500 episodes, it's time. Will you help? Please become a member today for $5 or $10 a month at thejazzsession.com slash join. If you can't afford that, I get it. But my guess is that most of you can, and you just choose not to. So I'm asking you to make the other choice and to join today. Thanks. New York Voices are celebrating more than three decades together with a new album called Reminiscing in Tempo. Kim Nazarian, welcome to the Jazz Session. Oh, well, thank you so very much. It is indeed my pleasure to be with you and all of your listening folks out there. We are here to talk about Reminiscing in Tempo, which is the most recent album from New York Voices and celebrating 30 years of uh, the group being together. And I'm just going to, before we dive into the record, which is what we'll spend most of our time talking about, I just want to talk about that number because 30 well, years actually, is... actually, I have to correct, I have to correct you yes. on that number because as of yesterday, it is 32 years. Oh my gosh. Well, that, yeah, that's going to make years, February 2nd. my follow-up point even better, which is that 32 years is a long time for any group to stay together. And then when you get four people whose instrument is the one that's normally the lead, it strikes me that there must be something incredibly special about each of your personalities to allow four people to keep doing the same thing. I know that there have been a couple you know, lineup changes, but in, in the main, this group of people has been together for a very long time. What, to what do you ascribe the longevity of New York Voices? Well, um, I think uh, a lot of it has to do with the fact that all four of us are very different in our vocal style and our vocal timbre and our vocal appreciation and what we bring to the group. I kind of look at look at us like a compass. You know, we all have these directions that uh, we know and love and and feel very uh, secure and strong in. And then when you bring it all together, it's this incredible buffet of vocal jazz that uh, and more vocal jazz and more that that people get to experience with us. 
the other the other factors I think for our longevity would be that uh, we all put the music first. It's always about the music, and we have had 32 years of mutual admiration, respect, and friendship for each other. So uh, it goes beyond the music for the four of us. Does it help that you all have active lives outside of the band as well? Most definitely. Most definitely, because we uh, we have a bigger surface area that way, and uh, we can all bring in uh, different influences into the group, different networking experiences. You know, then we all kind of feel satisfied, I think, in, in the musical world, that whatever you can't do with the New York Voices table, you can do on your own. And whether it's writing, arranging, teaching, conducting, what, whatever it is that you, you do outside of the group enriches the group. Because I will forget this if I don't do it right at this moment, will you mention who the other members of New York Voices are so we make sure that they're given the credit they deserve? Absolutely. Darman Meter is our musical leader, tenor, and saxophone player, player and uh, most significant arranger. Uh, Peter Eldridge is our baritone and sometimes accompanist. And again, arranger and writer, composer in-house. And uh, Lauren Kinnon is our alto, also a composer and uh, contributing arranger for New York Voices. And I'll just uh, somewhat self-servingly mention that Peter has been on this show before talking about some of his solo work, and you can find that interview in the archives if you want to learn more. album is called reminiscing in tempo it's it's really wonderful and it it just it reminds me again how much it is possible to do with this ensemble because there are so many different uh, styles both styles uh, kind of within within improvised music but also uh, arranging approaches to music the uses of your voices it's just it's a really uh, malleable and expansive group you know four voices you sometimes you, you could think well there's only so much you can do but it turns out that so much is quite a bit absolutely absolutely and you know people have been trying to put us in a box since uh you know for 32 years and this particular record i think has the longest span of uh musical history on it of any record that we've ever done <laughs> when you <laughs> when you think about doing a cervantes piece from you know the end of the 19th century to, and, and is more classically influenced to uh, the original pieces that are on there that were just born, you know, prior to the, the production of the record. Um, it spans, you know, over 100 years. And uh, it satisfies all of our tastes and hopefully all of our listeners and fans' tastes. And it also uh, encourages, I think, the next wave of, you know, harmonizing vocal groups 
that that all is possible. And hopefully we keep getting better too. That we aren't we aren't stuck in an equation or a formula and that we are constantly being surprised and influenced by everything that we get to see and hear in our, you know, musical lives. Are there any particular things that you do to ensure that that happens, that that continued forward motion? Because I, I could imagine it could be easy to kind of rest on your laurels and say, well, this has worked for all these years. Let's just keep doing this. Yeah, I mean, it's always a pledge to the authenticity of the music and the integrity of what we do. And we always want to keep learning. All of us are teachers. And I think if you are part of that cycle, that uh, you have to stay alive and your spirit has to be infused with that, that never-ending learning. We are always students of this music, and it is ever-growing and ever-accepting and welcoming. So that's the one thing that we love about this jazz umbrella. So I, I think it's that. quick break to remind you that the Jazz Session really is the first and oldest jazz interview podcast. It started way back when few people knew what a podcast was. Almost everybody thought you needed an iPod to listen to one. It's 13 years later now, and the show is still going strong, but I would like to be able to do so much more with the Jazz Session. More in-person interviews, more festival coverage, more travel, and that's possible only if you decide that you value this show enough to support it. If you do, go to thejazzsession.com slash join and become a member for 5 or $10 a month. You'll get bonus episodes, early access to every show, and more. Thanks for being here all these years. Please become part of the next 13 years by becoming a member. In 1991 or 92, somewhere in there, this is it. You know, long before the the internet really existed everywhere, and I was just it was in between high school and college, I think. And I remember I used to watch on the one of the four channels that we had a show that was produced <laughs> that showed live jazz performances from various places in the U.S. and one of them, I think, was from a jazz festival somewhere in Florida, maybe. It's been a while now. But sure, I, yeah. I have had a, a VHS tape that I had for years and years and years of you guys performing at yep. this festival. And it was the first – this is – I had never even heard of, like, you know, Lambert Hendricks and Ross or any, you know, kind of any things that you might think of as precursors to New York Voices. You guys were my first introduction to – this kind of uh, vocal performance style. And I was just totally blown away. I just thought it sounded so cool. I never really heard anything like it. I really loved harmony from the like rock and pop music that I listened to. And so this was, you know, an even further exploration of that. And I just, I watched that, 
you know, fairly grainy VHS tapes so much <laughs> until it was really unwatchable, if we're being totally honest. It had faded to, you know, some sort of impressionistic art piece. But uh, I just it, it had a really big impact on me. So I just wanted to, to mention that as a kind of a personal aside, I guess, while we're talking about that, that, you know, I think my guess is that's probably true for a lot of people that you folks introduce them to new ways of thinking about what you could do with the voice. Well, that's right. And, and an introduction actually to jazz. Because for some people, it is not digestible. For some people, it is, they can't even comprehend or understand what's happening. When you see New York Voices, hopefully we embody the music and we outline visually what is going on without choreography, but just with physical support as to, you know, what you're supposed to listen to and what's important and what is supporting the other elements of the arrangement. So, um, so yeah, we've heard that more than once over, over multi-generational audiences. That this is my, you know, this is my first uh, venture into vocal jazz, and um, and I get it, and I like it, and I want more. So, <laughs> you know, hooray, hooray for all of us, and uh, thank you for watching that video with of us in our our clown suits, and I we might have even been with George Benson. Oh, I think that, that I think that is correct. Actually, now that you say that. Yes, yeah. that, that VHS tape long went to the VHS tape store in the sky, so it's been many years since I was able to see it. But now that you say that, I'm you pretty sure you that you're right. turn it into you know, a DVD or <laughs> something. Right, exactly. I missed that crucial, that crucial step. Um, so this album, like pretty much every album that I feature on this show, when they, uh, you know, come in the door I just listen to them I of course I know who the band is and what the title of the album is but generally speaking I don't I don't look at the track listing and I don't read the press release or anything I just listen and so this album at one point really really surprised me and delighted me because when before I interviewed musicians for a living I was one and I played mostly salsa and uh, other kinds of Latin music and one of the records that I was first given when I to because I'm not from a background where salsa music is common, um, to listen to was a cachao record that had Los Tres Golpes on it. So when I got to that on this record, I was just like this huge smile came across my face because it's so fabulous and it sounds so great on this record and I was not expecting it at all. So I'm curious about how these two Cervantes pieces made it onto Reminiscing in Tempo. Yeah. Oh, good good question. Um, one of our dear uh, friends and piano player accompanist, uh, Alonia Nye, was actually practicing uh, one of those pieces backstage. Uh, before a concert with uh, Paquito de Rivera. And we just all huddled around him and were like, what is that? What are you playing? 
and uh, he gave us the history and he told us about the composer and he said, yeah, you should listen to other stuff. And of course, so we did. And uh, with Darman's brilliant mind and arranging, he adapted these piano dances for four voices and uh, we have the range, you know, between the four of us to, uh, to actually execute the music. And, um, and that was the beginning of that love affair. And we will probably, I mean, we still have one more that we'd like to do for, for this suite, but we got two onto this record and we're very proud of them. And, uh, uh, Los Tres is one of my favorite cuts on the record, actually. Uh, next week in, in showtime, not in real world time. So the episode after yours is going to be Terry Teachout talking about his biography of Duke Ellington. And the title of this album uh, comes from a Duke Ellington piece, which as I understand it, you suggested. So tell me about that. Yeah, yeah. We were doing research for this next project and uh, I came up with a couple pieces and um, the the one that New York Voices chose, I think because of the instrumentation and the, the, the beautiful Mel Torme version that we could then adapt for our voices became the one that the, the group voted on. And then I took the other piece for my own solo record. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, so there were two pieces that, that, you know, rose to the surface for me that I loved that I thought I could uh, invest in, you know, both lyrics and and music and, and arranging and, and that I could share with my colleagues. You know, there was room for three other voices on, on this piece. Mm-hmm. Tell me more about the idea of investing in a song. Oh... For me, it has to ring true to my sensibility. I have to be able to deliver the lyric with honesty and truth. And it has to feel good, you know, on my voice. And this particular melody and these lyrics and these chord changes and just the vibe of the original piece was something that spoke to me and that I thought I could sing for the rest of my life um, and actually believe in. interesting we uh there's something we were recently talking about on this show uh with jane monheit and how she talks about uh teaching younger singers and that there's a you know kind of almost an unwritten rule that some repertoire younger singers aren't supposed to approach which jane said she very much doesn't believe in but she does believe in this idea of being careful to sing things that you feel you can convey honestly, which sounds like what you're talking about, that it's not necessarily that it has to be your story, but a story you can convincingly get across to the audience. Is that fair? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it's about a shared experience. You know, what is going to resonate and how can you share with those that come to listen to you something of significance? 
You know, you want to really save something that is meaningful and special that will resonate with them and will inspire them to either listen to more of this music or turn other people onto this music or carry it away as some sort of, you know, phonic gift that it's, you know, something that, that will last forever and that will, you know, continue, that will plant seeds and, and, and grow limbs and leaves and flower and blossom in this world of, of music that is intangible, you know? You mentioned a few minutes ago when we were talking about uh, reminiscing in tempo, uh, the song that the band had voted is voting how all or at least some of the music enters your repertoire. Yeah, for the most part, yeah, we're a four headed democracy and we kind of all say yay or nay to, uh, to tunes that will either live on the record or will grow into live repertoire or meet some sort of deadline for festival or celebration. And um, yeah, yeah, we all kind of have to feel comfortable because as you can see, this music has lasted for 32 years, these arrangements, and hopefully it will continue to live. And you really want to invest in something that's good and, and is of, you know, quality and that rings true for all of us because you, you're going to look into all of our eyes when, when you see us and hopefully feel all of our heartbeats. And um, yeah, so we all have to believe in it. Another quick break to thank the folks who make the jazz session possible, starting with the members who support it and also the Respect Sextet at respectsextet.com for the theme music and Dave Rabel for the logo. Chuck Ingersoll is the voice of the intro. You can hire him at hearchucknow.com. Follow the jazz session on Twitter at jazzsesh, J-A-Z-Z-S-E-S-H, and on Instagram at the jazz session. Right now I'm posting a photo every weekday from more than 20 years of jazz shows and interviews. Take a second, if you would, to rate and review The Jazz Session on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. It really improves my ability to reach new listeners. If you'd like to keep up to date on my podcast, poetry, and more, subscribe to my newsletter. Go to thejazzsession.com and click on the newsletter link. It comes out every other Wednesday. With emotion Since this is the first time I've had uh, someone from New York Voices on to actually talk about New York Voices, uh, I think it would be nice if we uh, took it all the way back. And uh, since you can date the origin of the band to a specific day, uh, it would be cool just to hear the origin story kind of taking us back to, to Ithaca there, if you wouldn't mind. Oh, yeah. Peter and Darman and I were in the same vocal jazz ensemble at Ithaca College that was led by our uh, dearly departed mentor, David Riley. It was his idea to bring a group of alumni 
to the Montreux and Jazz Festivals back in 1986. And Peter and Darman and I were part of that wonderful group. And uh, it was received so well there that we decided to keep it going in the United States. It was a, a post-collegiate group, but a pre-professional group. And so then we we started the, the work that needed to be done in New York and uh, auditioned folks and put a quintet together and had our first gig at Town Hall February 2nd, 1988. Again, we were guests of Ithaca College and David Riley. The collegiate group performed, and we were their guests, and the big band from the college also performed, and Lou Tobacken was their guest. So it, it hails all the way back to then, and uh, we will never forget that our future agent, Marianne Topper, was in that audience, and she was up on her feet, and uh, we got to talk to her after that performance. So yeah, 32 years ago this time, uh, New York Voices had its first live performance as a, a professional group. It was uh, Peter Darman, myself, Caprice Fox, and Sarah Krieger at that time. And then uh, Lauren joined us in uh, 93, I believe. The new member of the band. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. The new girl, the poor, poor, poor woman. Yeah, the new girl. <laughs> now she can talk to you in the next interview. Yeah, exactly. As I as I said uh, before we started recording, I can't remember what I'm doing from one moment to the next without a, without a calendar. So I'm, this is a big ask. But do you remember anything that you sang on that first show? Any of the the pieces you performed? Oh, for sure, for sure. Yeah, we did an original piece of Darman's, I think called "Dare the Moon." Uh, we might have done a Jimmy Heath piece, which you know, of course, we have to talk about that legacy, uh, Sassy Samba. Uh, we might have done a Bobby McFerrin tune called All Feats Can Dance. We might have done Lady Bird. I think I'm just forgetting one other tune, which I'm sorry. That's but, pretty but impressive. Four out of five ain't bad. <laughs> no, not like, at all. It ain't bad. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you guys were so young then, and I'm... Wait a minute. Wait a minute. What? <laughs> I mean, you're. What are you I'm sure now? you're you're just I'm as young so and vibrant now, but I'm. I mean, time has passed, so you were definitely yeah. 32 years younger. Yeah, exactly. So you were all four. <laughs> I mean, it's impressive when a group of people, you know, in the beginning of their professional careers, think, "Oh, this is really cool," and then it turns out they were right. I mean, that doesn't happen ah. all that often. <laughs> you know, everybody gets together at, at 19 or 20 or 21 or whatever and thinks, oh, man, this band is killing. And then, you know, a month later, musical differences have <laughs> brought it asunder. I mean, you are still doing it with the same people all these years later. I mean, that's it's just magical to think that that's the case. Yeah, I mean, it surprises us as well. Honest, honest to goodness. And with all the changes in the industry and the changes in our lives, you know, we're all married. We have homes. We live in different corners of the United States. You know, we still have agents and promoters and students and people that believe in us. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a good feeling to be affirmed musically, professionally. You know, it's a, it's a good feeling. Yes, it's all right, it's all right with me. It's the wrong time 
and the wrong place Though your face is charming, it's the wrong face It's not her face, but such a charming face That it's alright with me It's the wrong song, in the wrong style Though your smile is lovely, it's the wrong smile It's not her smile, but such a lovely smile That it's alright with me You can know how happy I am that we met I'm strangely attracted to you There's someone I'm trying so Now, if people are listening to this when it comes out, then today is on or about February 19th of the year 2020. And uh, this show has a lot of listeners in Japan, which is cool, because actually they're going to get a chance to see you coming right up, right? Yes, yes. We will be at the Cotton Club in Tokyo. I believe the dates are February 23, 24, and 25. And uh, yeah, we haven't been there in a while. And uh, we are so looking forward to reconnecting with our fans and our friends over there. And then shortly after that, you're at another jazz festival, right? Yeah, the Java Jazz Festival in Jakarta, Indonesia. Again, supportive people for, you know, a, a good chunk of our career. And we're just ever so grateful to play in front of these audiences who uh, just appreciate what it is that we do. Although we're talking about uh, vocal jazz, in addition to the uh, fact that you all sing together, you all also have, over the years, of course, played with many instrumentalists, both large ensembles and had guests with you and that kind of thing. What uh, what does it take to navigate when around, you know, the Count Basie band or the Dizzy Gillespie All-Star Big Band or, you know, kind of any of those ensembles? What does it require of the four of you as you continue to do that kind of close harmony thing that you do, but have all this other music happening around you? It happens because our initial goal as New York Voices was to bridge that gap between instrumental and vocal jazz. And you have to have that in your brain. You have to have done your listening. You have to have done your homework. You have to know what has come before you, what you are actually in, and and what you need to do to, as they say, play with the big boys and girls. It's about, it's about respect. It's about bringing your A-game. It's about utilizing the space that is still left when you are with, you know, 15 other instruments. It's about using that space wisely. And, uh, yeah, and about being able to, to sit on that stage. You are, you are learning, for one thing. I mean, we truly learned how to swing when we were with the Count Basie Orchestra. You are with legends when you are with the, the Dizzy Gillespie Alumni All-Star Big Band and, and the legends that we have recently lost in both uh, Jimmy Heath and Claudia Raditi. You are listening to stories. You are um, listening on stage. You're constantly taking notes about how to improve your, your musicianship, about being the best musician you can be in that moment, you know, and appreciating this moment in history. That's a, a perfect segue to talking, taking this out of uh, New York Voices for a minute and just talking about you. You've done a lot of work in passing this music on to the next generation. And so what kinds of things do you, beyond the, obviously the technical aspects of singing, which are incredibly important, but just in terms of passing on the lore or the, the idea of this music as music, what's important to you to convey to students? 
again, I'm going to talk about the history and about, about listening. It's like you can't really do something that you don't know anything about. You have to, you have to put the time in. And you have to want to get better and improve. You have to want to give. You have to want to be honest. Um, you have to have something to take. So you have to, you have to develop your language and vocabulary. So again, you have to be a willing student and a lifelong student. And, and, and you have to commit. You just really have to commit to being the best you can be. And I would say that with any profession. You know, I hope that our doctors think this way. I hope our psychologists think this way. I would hope our politicians and religious and spiritual leaders would think this way. And that's kind of that's kind of how I, I approach my students. I I give what I expect. I know that you do work at uh, a couple of great educational institutions. One is Ithaca College, where, of course, as we already discussed, you also went. And the other is the school my sister went to, which is SUNY Fredonia. And will you talk about your relationship with those places and what you do there? Absolutely. Um, It is truly my pleasure to be associated with Ithaca College and uh, continue the legacy of our mentor, David Riley, and to uh, build up this program of vocal jazz. Uh, We have gone from one vocal jazz ensemble to two vocal jazz ensembles, and we have graduated vocal jazz majors and one uh, graduate student, um, too. So that's, uh, it's very, very exciting to be a part of that program and to give back to something that was so to me. And then a a new and developing relationship with uh, Nick Weiser at SUNY Fredonia. And again, trying to build from the from the ground up a vocal jazz program and do, do my best to pass on my passion for this music. Does it still take convincing in this day and age when it comes time to launch something like a vocal jazz program? Convincing, in other words, of the, I guess, the folks who are going to write the checks for it at the administrative level? Yes, of, of course. I mean, it, it only works where people care about that kind of thing. Um, because, you know, we're not talking about these careers that generate a lot of income. <laughs> so, uh, so it truly is, it's heart and human and, uh, art based. So if you believe in this art form, if you believe in our legacies that the Ella Fitzgeralds and the Sarah Vaughn's and the Nancy Wilson's and the Al Jarreau's and all those people that have come before us, if you believe that they affected your life, then hopefully you're going to contribute to something that will affect someone else's life that feels that strongly about this kind of music, which I and, you know, my colleagues, we're, we're the people that, that do believe in this. And uh, if, if, 
If there's nothing else that you want to do with your life, you have to invest in this local jazz path. <laughs> I want to talk kind of continuing exactly what we we're just talking about and, and shift uh, back to New York Voices because New York Voices also does educational work through uh, camps and you have a vocal jazz festival. Tell us more about those things, if you would. Yeah, uh, the, our festival, I think, is going into its 12th year, uh, and, and our camp as well. Um, the festival is in Chicago, and we invite six high schools and six colleges to come and share their music with us, and uh, two New York Voices listen to them, and one New York Voice gives them a 30-minute clinic. So we are working all day long, and then it ends up with a big concert in the evening featuring one of the New York Voices, our hosting vocal jazz ensemble, and New York Voices. So it's a it's a big day of vocal jazz uh, uh, outside Chicago proper in St. Charles. And then we have two camps, also 12 years old. Uh, we just moved to Western Michigan University in the United States uh, last year under the direction of uh, Greg Jaspers. And that will run this year, July 27th through August 2nd. And we accept campers 14 years and older. There's no audition except for scholarships, which we do have. And uh, we have a camp in Germany in uh, Moktoberdorf, which is near Bavaria. And our camp director there is Anne Schakowsky, uh, again, with scholarships and support from the Bayerische Music Academy. When you say 14 and above, do you mean above as far as it goes? Like adults who maybe have oh, completely yeah. other careers oh, can yeah. come and be a part? Oh, my gosh. Yes. We've had 80-year-olds come, and we just we love this multi-generational experience. You know, you'll see a duet up there with a 14-year-old and a, you know, 75-year-old person. And that's a, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. That's that fabulous. We are all continuing to learn at any age and and just how much this music does for people. It is, it's a healing art form. I truly believe that. And when you are working in harmony and it brings people together, it can't help but make the planet a better place. Well, that's an absolutely beautiful place to draw to a close. Kim Nazarian has been <laughs> my guest. Uh, you can find her work, uh, her individual solo work, at her own website, uh, which is kimnazarian.com. And then you can find New York Voices, whose most recent record is called Reminiscing in Tempo, well, pretty much everywhere in the world. Kim, it's been such a pleasure to talk to you. I really appreciate you sharing both your own story and, and the bands. And I hope you'll come back and talk to us again. Oh, my gosh. Indeed, my pleasure. Indeed, my pleasure. You are wonderful, and uh, I hope uh, everybody appreciates what you do as well. If you value what you just heard, become a member for 5 or $10 a month at thejazzsession.com slash join. Thanks to my guest this week, Kim Nazarian. Next week's show features author Terry Teachout. Until then, support live music whenever and wherever you can, and come back next time for another conversation about jazz on The Jazz Session.
you for listening, everybody. Bye. Bye. Bye.